Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 18. Moving through the book of Revelation, winding down our study through the Bible, we've pretty much gone through the whole tribulation period, that seven years of judgment that happened on the earth in the future. Um, it sort of ended in chapter 16, but chapters 17 and 18 are kind of a reflection back on the destruction of the world systems of the day. And in chapter 17, we saw a couple weeks ago this world religious system that basically came unraveled in the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist decided he was the only religion that the people needed. And now in chapter 18, you see the world political and economic system as it crashes at the end with the Battle of Armageddon, the judgment of the earth that causes this total system collapse, finally. Now, ever since God created the world, there has been this strange duality of that which is physical and that which is spiritual. Prior to the creation of the world, all that there was was simply spiritual. It was reality that was non-corporeal, without a body. It was just God. And God doesn't have physical dimensions and things like that. He is simply spirit. But when he spoke into existence the entire universe as we see it, including mankind, now there was something different because there was material. There was physicality. Now man is a unique creation because Man was created as a physical being, but God breathed into man and gave him a soul and spirit, made him alive so that in our essence we are both physical and spiritual. We're both. The, the material part of us is important and we wouldn't really exist completely apart from it, and yet the real you is not physical. The real you is spiritual and created in the image of God. Um, you can recognize this when you realize that in the last seven years, basically just about every molecule of your body has been replaced. We're constantly shedding, we're constantly being recreated in a physical sense so that your body today is nothing like it was 10 years ago. Most of us only have to look at an old picture of ourselves to recognize that reality. Um, and yet, you're still the same person. You remember what it was like 10 years ago. If you're really old, you don't remember 10 years ago, but you remember 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like my old memories become much more active, and I can't remember, is this second service or third service? But, so, so, but you have that thing of, wow, it's weird. I'm physical, but I know that there's an essence of me that isn't. Now, how this works itself out in real life is there's a clash between these two areas. And in a, in a spiritual sense, it comes about and it's manifested in what we generally refer to as idolatry. Because man is a physical and spiritual being, but we are designed to worship God as Jesus says, in spirit and in truth. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. However, as a person, 
I have a much easier time relating to physical things than I do to spiritual things. Because, for instance, people and objects I can touch and taste and feel. God it seems so mystically out there that I don't connect to him as easy. So throughout history, people have had the tendency to worship things instead of God, and that's essentially what idolatry is. I put something else in the place of God because I am more in touch with my physical sense than I am with my spiritual side, and as a result, I'm torn between worshiping a, an invisible God and an object that's very tangent. And so, tangible, sorry. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I know. I used to remember that. But, um, you know, so that's the tension. Most people in the world are worshiping stuff. And the whole worldly system functions because of the fact that things can provide something for us that we crave. The dangerous thing is things will, you know, inoculate us from really understanding what our spiritual need is. And that's the basic tension of all reality is what do you worship? Is it going to be that one who is spirit, or are we going to value just the stuff? And our whole world system functions on that. And when we come to Revelation chapter 18, we see finally this system collapses. And it's a system that is behind most of the power that exists in the world. And you're gonna see it deals with political power, and then that political power deals with business and material power. You know, you don't have political power without financial power. And you don't wield financial power without political influence. And, and then there's a lot of middlemen who benefit too. But what we see finally when the system collapses is that all of this system that has allowed people to live in an idolatrous way comes crashing down in one day, in one hour. And so let's look through the chapter, and then we'll stop and come back and look at a couple of points within it. The introduction in verse 1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Now, Babylon in the 17th chapter was referring primarily to the one world religion and recording the collapse of that, again, back in the middle of the tribulation period when the Antichrist said, I'm the only God you really need. But now it's seen as Babylon because ultimately all of that kooky religious stuff gets transferred to that which people really want to worship which is our bodies, our material comfort, our ability to find luxury. And so it all ends up going to hell when it all comes crashing down. Verse 3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. From an imagery standpoint, this spiritual fornication or the spiritual adultery is an unfaithfulness to the connection that we have with God. We're created by him and committed to him 
And yet when we decide to find our satisfaction in something other than him, it is seen as cheating on him and being fornication. And it says, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants, the business people of the earth, have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So these two categories that are emphasized, and we're going to see both of them mentioned later in the chapter, the political power and the economic power, both cooperating together with a system that substitutes material for spiritual, that just makes it all about money and things and power and influence. And it all comes crashing down. And notice it's they're rich through the abundance of her luxury. We're going to see these concepts interwoven throughout this chapter. It's about wealth. It's about luxury. It's about having more than you need. It's about comfort. And then in verse 4, this echoing out, and we'll come back and look at it at the end, but he, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. The cry from, from God that says, you don't have to give in to the system. You don't have to be dominated by this drive for material satisfaction in life. 4, verse 5, her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. He goes on to say she's going to get what she deserves. Verse 7, in the measure that she glorified herself, it's all about pride, and she lived luxuriously, in the same measure, she's going to have torment and sorrow because in her heart, she says, I am the queen, and I'm not a widow. There's nothing I need of. I will never see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The system can crash in a day. It can really happen. Uh, the balance of what is driving everything in this world is so tenuous. It's balanced on a razor blade. And in fact, boom, it's going to come crashing down immediately. And this becomes a shock to everyone who is depending on this system. And then talks about the politicians some more. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with the system will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. They'll stand at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, it's too bad. That great city Babylon, those were the good old days. That mighty city, but man, in one hour, your judgment has come. And then the businessmen, the merchants of the earth, will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. See, kings need merchants, and merchants need kings. Political power is a great source for achieving material success. And material success is a great way to buy political power. You need to have the authorities be on your side if you're going to capitalize on capitalism. And at the same time, you're never going to get into power unless you have the support of the people with the money, the golden rule, he who has the gold rules. And, I mean, it's true today more than it ever has been before. There was a day when somebody who was fairly poor, because they were impressive, 
because they were renowned for whatever reason, they could find themselves catapulted into power. But today, you pretty much have to buy your way into power. If you don't have millions and millions of dollars, you can't run for mayor hardly anymore because the money is where the power lies. And you cannot compete with somebody who piles tons of money. And, and the system of limiting the amount of political contributions just plays that much more into the hands of people who can afford to finance their own election. But not only that, people who ascend to a powerful position find out that it works really well monetarily. You know, we have the President of the United States, he just got a raise this year, and he's making $400,000 a year. Now, I could live pretty well on $400,000 a year. The president used to, when I was a kid, the president made $75,000 a year. And I remember when they gave the president the raise from $75,000 to $100,000, and it was because Willie Mays, number 24, center fielder for the Giants, was making $100,000 a year, and they said, this is disgraceful that the say hey kid is making more money than our president. So they bumped him up to 100,000. Well, now he's at $400,000 a year. And you think, you know, yeah, but I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of golf. And he, he deserves that. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, he's a Nobel Prize winner. But here's, here's the interesting thing. When the president became the president, his net worth was only a little over a million dollars. But now, after three years, his net worth is like $11 million. $400,000 a year, he's made... The numbers speak for themselves. When you become powerful, it's also a pathway to become wealthy. When you become wealthy, it's a pathway to become power. So these two sides together, colluding, are devastated when the system comes crashing down. Because now the kings have no power, and now the merchants have no market. They have no special privileges, and so they're all mourning. Now the merchants are described here as they weep and mourn. Check out verses 12 and 13, because it kind of summarizes what the business world in those days was about. And it's emphasizing, for the most part, luxury. They have merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. See, all this luxury stuff is where the money is. These aren't the people who are selling lettuce on the street corner. They have cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and look what else they're selling, and the bodies and the souls of men. Ultimately, those who are controlling the business world are marketing people. Peter talked about false prophets. You can tell when someone's a false prophet when they are making merchandise of the people. Well, in this case, the people are simply another product for them another purchasing unit. It's all about the luxury. It's all about the power. And if you are a person who doesn't have that power, then you are simply a product that they are using, counting as a little piece on their spreadsheet, and they're selling people's bodies and souls in order to receive the luxury and comfort that they crave. 
That's how the system works. In verse 14, it says, The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Oh, man, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. It's so easy for great riches to come to nothing because they're really an illusion anyway. And now they're just going, I can't believe things crashed so fast. Every shipmaster, now it goes into the middlemen. You have the politicians and you have the entrepreneurs, but you also have people who neither buy nor sell, but they're making money off the system. Uh, in the transportation industry. The shipmasters, everybody who travels by ship, sailors, everybody who trades on the sea, they all stood at a distance and cried when they saw the smoke coming up and they go, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. All of the middlemen just being devastated by the destruction. And then the perspective from heaven, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. The political and, and the economic world has not been kind to apostles and prophets, but now they are getting theirs. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea and said, thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. And then he goes on to talk about, you are not going to see hear harps and flutes and trumpets, and you're not going to see people building things, you're not going to hear production from the marketplace with the millstones, the light of the lamp, verse 23, won't shine in you anymore, the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Now, you can't escape a couple of obvious things from this reference. And a part of it is, obviously it's all about these rich people. Now remember, during the tribulation period, bad things are happening on the earth. There is famine, there is pestilence, disease, there's war. All, all sorts of people are suffering hugely. But you know, what happens ultimately with the system is, it's just like it always is. The people at the top are basically completely encapsulated for the most part, and they continue to thrive while everyone else continues to suffer. It's never the people at the top that are the ones who are most greatly affected. Now, and, and we look at our system today, and I think you'll have to admit the same thing is the case. I mean, we had a, a crash a few years ago in the banking industry. But do you think that the top Wall Street people and the bankers are the ones who are suffering during this recession? No, they're richer than ever. In fact, your tax dollars are being given to them so they can be even richer. There, some of them who were even removed from their jobs because of, of gross misconduct, 
had golden parachutes so that they are richer now than they were before. The government is giving money to the banks. The banks aren't lending the money. If you want to borrow money, it's a terrible time to try to borrow. Yeah, the interest rates are great, but it's almost impossible to qualify. You have a bunch of people who are unemployed, but hey, it's only less than 10% of the population. Add to that people who are underemployed or people who have given up on being employed. There are a lot of people who are really suffering today, but it's not your politicians. Your congressmen are not taking a cut in pay. The president is still able to afford a round of golf every couple days. The, the leaders of business are still flying their private jets. It's not a problem for them. And here's the way the system works, okay? Here's the way this materialistic, profit-based, luxury-induced system works. The people at the top are always, they have it made. Because actually, if, even if you tax them, you're taxing yourself because all they do is raise the prices on everything and you're still going to pay it. Or they just lay off a bunch of people and they're still getting their salaries. Everyone else is suffering as a result. And that's the way the system works. Now, you might go, Dave, you're starting to sound like a socialist. Well, wake up. <laughs> we are in a socialistic society. I'm not in favor of it. I'm certainly not in favor of let's just redistribute the wealth. Because if we did, within three or four years, the same people who control it now would control it again. They just know how to do that. They're really good at that. But what is the cost ultimately of all this is that people are focusing their attention on that which is material. Our role models are the people who are very wealthy. And so people who can't sleep at night because they're so worried about their economic condition turn on the TV and you can go from channel to channel to channel and see hundreds of different ways that you can become rich and successful, comfortable and luxurious as well. Because that drives all of us. We, we're enticed to that. We feel like I need a bigger house. I need a nicer car. I need more. I need to put myself in the position of being one of these hugely successful people. And it'd be nice if I could do it without working. But, <laughs> but that's the way the system works. Our system is designed to create consumption. Our, our system depends on you believing that you need things that you really don't need. If we ever got to the point of being satisfied, the system would fail because it's driven by growth. And, and we just have to have that. It's why we are involving ourselves all over the world in all sorts of wars. Because we need the market. And we need the supply of the products that they can provide. Some country where, where hundreds of thousands of people are being murdered for no reason, if they don't have the natural resources that we need, we look the other way. But if our oil supply is threatened, oh, well, now we're going to fight for freedom. It, it's, it's the way it works, okay? And I hate to, you know, shatter your myth. I, maybe this doesn't sound like a good 4th of July message, <laughs> but I'm thankful for our independence, but I want to recognize something. This world is being driven by the desire for more and by the desire for the material. Luxury is all about having way more than you need 
which creates a desire to have even more. Luxury is about comfort. It's about nothing hurting. And the only way I can do that is by having more and more and more. And like the old famous quote from John Rockefeller when they asked him, so you're the richest man in the world, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. That's what materialism does to you. It keeps you from ever being satisfied because there's always somebody ahead of you. There's always someone who's trying to take away what you have. And so we get on these treadmills where we work in ridiculous ways and ultimately we never get to the point where we can sit down and go, that's enough. And what we're doing is fighting against discomfort and yet discomfort is the thing that usually keeps us going. Discomfort is what'll get you up in the morning. Discomfort is what spurs people on to to new ideas and greater creativity. It inspires everything beautiful in the world has been driven somehow by discomfort, and yet we live our lives trying to find comfort and trying to have more. Now, over in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talked to Timothy about rich people, and you're rich if you have more than you need. So if you have... uh, more than two sets of clothes, one to wear and one to wash, if you have more than a pair of shoes, if you have a a car that costs more than one that will just get you back and forth, costs more than a smart car, Um, I don't know why they call them smart, but if you have a a house that has more more bedrooms than people, you you, you certainly have more than you need. And, And so talking to rich people, Paul says this, command those who are rich in this present system, this eon, this age, not to be haughty, not to think you're better than other people, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Riches come and go, don't trust in them. But trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold, get a grip on eternal life. So Paul's perspective on when you have more than you need is basically this. He says, first of all, don't think that you have more because you're better than other people. You're just like everyone else. Somebody gave you a break. Something happened. You were in the right place at the right time. God was working. but That doesn't make you better than anyone else. But then he also says, God has given you everything to enjoy. So don't take your possessions and be paranoid about enjoying them. Part of what God blessed you with was so that you could enjoy it. You know, a lot of people are very wealthy and they never have a chance to enjoy what they have. I, I like walking, I like going down to Salt Creek and walking along that path where those, I mean, you have the beautiful ocean on the one side and you have these great mansions on the other side, and these, these houses are, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 million dollars a piece. Gorgeous view of the most beautiful coastline imaginable. And, you know, I walk along and they all have nice patios with beautiful views. And I never see anyone sitting out on those patios and looking at the beautiful views. I go, hmm, that's Nicolas Cage's house. He's not home. That's Benny Hinn's house. He's not home. I, you go right down the list, and it's like, these people have so much, and they, they don't enjoy it. They, I heard of one of the pro athletes recently who found out that he had a couple of houses that he forgot about. <laughs> but, so Paul says, 
If you have a lot, please enjoy what you have. That's part of what God wants for you. But he says, don't trust in that stuff and be ready to share. Be ready to allow other people to benefit by what you have. At some point, get to the point where you can say, I am satisfied. And I'm not going to tell you what that point is for you. And I'm not trying to lay a trip on anybody that we need to just sell everything we have and give it to the poor. You know, Jesus said that to one guy, and it was true. But at some point, don't we say, God has given us more than we need, not so that we can live in luxury and comfort, but so that we can make a difference in other people's lives? I mean... I've been out there in the middle of nowhere, and you know we had a chance to, to give a whole village a well for fresh water that they used to walk miles for dirty water, and it was like $500. $500, people spend that on dinner. And I guarantee, after that dinner, you feel like, boy, what a waste that was, or it hurt my stomach, it was too rich, and should have passed on the dessert, and... But people for the rest of life will have water because people are willing to give. And when I look at what our money, as we participate in outreaches, as we look at what we can do here in our own church, people coming and accepting Jesus because somebody's paying the electric bill, how would you like to today go without air conditioning? And it's things like that that you go, there are greater things than just my luxury and just my pleasure. And, and so what God is trying to communicate to us always is, the reason I've blessed you isn't just so that you can get more and more, that you can feel more and more secure in what you have. I don't want you to be secure in what you have. What you have is not secure. It can be gone in a day, in an hour. But he goes, enjoy it and share. Lay some aside and see what you're able to give to others. And so here in Revelation 18, we see the whole system that is designed so that everyone works and suffers so that a few people can live in luxury. And then we will turn on our TV and enjoy watching other people live in luxury. Or we will, in our own way, go into debt in order to try to create luxury for ourselves and to feel like, well, at least I'm better than other people. That's the system that is going to crash. That is a setup for failure. At some point, the way to beat that system is before it crashes to decide I'm not living for that system any longer. I'm going to thank God for everything he's given me, and I will enjoy what he has given me, but I am going to share, and I'm going to keep a loose hold on my stuff, and on the idea of getting more stuff, I'm not going to spend my life shopping for more, making excuses to get rid of things that are perfectly good so that I can get something else just because it has that new smell to it stepping off that treadmill and going, I'm not going to do that anymore. Someday that system is going to crash. And when God looks at a system that markets people so that a few leaders can be successful, he's disgusted by it. 
And ultimately, always, that power base is going to turn on people who teach anything other than that. Because if we can't keep creating new marketplaces, the whole system will collapse. And that's ultimately what happens. So many people die. So many people are taken out of commission that the whole house of cards falls. And that's what happens here in this final ending that we call Armageddon. When it all collapses, everyone's out of business. Everyone is shut down in a day. And again, the message to the Lord to us today is found in verse 4. I heard another voice, a different voice from heaven. Here's an alternative. And it says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And that's God's word to us today. The system is in place. This system that will ultimately destroy the world. This system that is so exploitive, that is so dangerous and damaging, that is so deceived and, and unfaithful and idolatrous. The system's already in charge. You are not going to beat that system. God is going to beat that system by letting it collapse on itself. But the call to us is, don't buy into it. Don't live for what the system is telling you is worthy. What the system tells you that a little more luxury, a little more comfort, and then I'll finally be able to relax. You'll never be able to relax until you look at the system and see it for what it is. A horrible deception, an idolatry that causes people to worship things and use people. Um, I think it was Warren Wearsby who said, we are to worship God, we are to love people, and we are to use things. And whenever you get those out of order, some people want to use God. Their prayer, the idea of their prayer, is how can I get God to do what I want him to do? Other people use people and worship things. Whenever you get those things mixed up, the whole thing falls apart. We need to put God first and, and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We'll find out we'll have plenty of things for us to use and to enjoy because God is very generous with us, but we won't trust in those things. We'll share those things and ultimately use things to bless people and to love people. To get those out of order is a mess, and, and that's the message from God today. Don't be deceived by the system. The system is in the process of crashing. If you know anything about politics and economics, either one, you study them just a little bit, you will see that we are on a trajectory for total collapse. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist, and I'm not telling you to sell everything and move to Montana. When it collapses, I'm ready for it. Yeah, I have things I'll lose, you know, but I'm not living for those things. Those things don't matter. Uh, I appreciate them, but when they go away, I'm still going to have what matters to me, and that is my God who oversees the whole thing, who ultimately has for us riches that are untold, luxury so much that in heaven the streets are paved with gold. 
when you know that you have that kind of an inheritance, you don't want to sacrifice the important things in life down here for cheesy imitations. I mean, some little block of gold ingot compared to, hey, it's on the street. Go ahead, pull out a piece if you want. It's, it's cheap up here. Everything is. Jesus said, man, I, my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're taken care of. You don't have to worry. And therefore, you don't have to live your life with a paranoia that somehow if you don't you know, protect yourself and get more and more and more, someday you'll end up with nothing. At some point, and I can't tell you what that point is, it would be great to say, you know, this house works fine. In fact, I think I could even have a smaller house and it would work fine. And this car is still running. I don't need to upgrade every year. And the money that I have in the bank is sufficient for foreseeable needs. Maybe I need to start investing more in eternity. Maybe sometime I'll go out on a missions trip. Maybe I'll help someone else to go do that. Maybe I'll take some time off work so that I can hang out with one of my friends who doesn't know the Lord and, and share with them how much God loves them. Eternal rewards for cheap prices. I mean, when I think of little kids in Cambodia who are, have been sold into white slavery and they've been prostituting themselves when they're five and six years old, and the ministries that we support, able to rescue these children, put them in a home teach them about Jesus, give them skills in order to, to be able to find a way to make a living other than the way that they've been trained. How's that going to feel when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, and one of these cute little Cambodian kids comes up and says, oh, you're from Pacific Hills. I'm here because of you. I escaped a destructive lifestyle where I hated everyone and everything, and I just wanted to die. And then I, I found Jesus because somebody was willing to make it possible for that to happen and give me a place to live and, and a way to support myself. And imagine what that feels like compared to reminiscing on that big meal we just ate. And what does that turn into? Exactly. <laughs> and so again, hey, a place for luxury... All I'm saying is, find some place where you can just go, I'm okay right now. This is where I draw the line. This is my limit. I'm blessed. I want to bless, bless others. And when the system collapses, I'm not going to be a part of those who are leaning and depending on the system. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. For this much-needed reminder that what we see driving the world system, its days are numbered. And the extent to which we depend on that is the extent to which we are cruising for a fall ourselves. Because we probably, if we know you, we're not going to see this happen. But boy, there are all kinds of other crashes that are happening, happening building up to this time. And we've seen it happen already, and it can and will happen again. So help us to have the kind of priorities where we finally get to the point of true wealth, 
where we say, I have learned to be content with what I have. And everything else that I get, I'm going to use to bless others and to bring others to heaven with me. Lord, help us to escape the corruption of this adulterous world system of power and luxury. And help us to find peace with you, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then letting you do whatever you want with everything else. So God, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.